and welcome. I'm Steve Martorano, and this is the Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the Behavioral Corner. Please hang around a while. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Behavioral Corner. I'm Steve Martorano, hanging out as I do here on the corner where we run into all kinds of terrific people who have wonderful stories to tell us about behavioral health or associated with behavioral health. And then we like to share them with you. Behavioral health, for those of you who are following along at home, uh, is a big topic. It boils down to basically the decisions we make and the things we do in our lives and the effect they have on our emotional, our physical, our spiritual well-being. So that's what we discuss. Every now and then, we like to reach back into the origins of this program, which were basically a substance abuse program and treatment, and talk a little bit about that. The stories of substance abuse and recovery, I like to say, are all the same, except they're different. And we will find out that that's true again today. Uh, Also, give you another uh, little thing I'm fond of saying, and that is all cliches are true. That's how they become cliches because they are true. And this is one of the more enduring cliches you'll ever hear. And that you've heard this a million times. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's a ripe old cliche. It's very true when we talk about the specifics of relapse in terms of getting sober. To that end, we welcome Donna Howard to the program. She joins us from uh, the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And uh, she's going to share with us Uh, her story about substance abuse, sobriety, and relapse. Donna, welcome to the Behavioral Corner. Nice to have you. Thank you, Steve. Like you said, I'm from the nation's capital, but originally I'm from Newport News, Virginia. Oh, we, Philadelphia knows Newport because of your favorite son, Alan Iverson. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Mike Vick. Right, Mike Vick. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I was raised in a very religious upbringing. I was a foster child substances and those different type things were not available in my home. You know, I had to go outside of my home to to find those kind of things. But, you know, something that's going on on the inside of you as a child that you really don't understand and you feel, um, you know, less than, not wanted, rejected, and a whole lot of other things not fitting in and those Mm -hmm. kind of things like that you know, being taken advantage of in different kind of ways. So um, I didn't understand those things at the time, but I did start to use substances at the age of 13 to um, make myself feel better, to be able to express myself better because I was very shy and those different kind of things like that to fit in and to be a part of, you know, the group and everything. So I went into the military Uh, I'm a veteran. um, So I went in the military. Going into the military, you know, there's a lot of drinking um, and a lot of other extracurricular activities associated with drinking, partying and things like that. So I still continued on in the scene. You know, um, when I got out of the military, which was in 1989, um, my last tenure in the military, I got out, I came back home and, um, you know, tried to get a job and I went to school, became a licensed practical nurse, but I still drank. I don't know how I did it, but I drank 
and I became the uh, Clinical Excellence Award in, in, in that school, and I got real top grades. So I don't know how I did it, but I did it. You had one of those problems that I've heard a lot of people have. You were high-functioning. High functioning, very much so. In 1992, I came to Washington, D.C. My mother had died, so I came here with my aunt. And I tried to stay on that path of getting my life right. Mm -hmm. And um, that was in 1992. And I had a little spill maybe a year or so afterwards. My first bout with treatment was in 1995 at the VA Medical Center. I went to the last 28-day inpatient program. I got out of there. I went to transition. After I got a job, I got my nursing license for D.C., transferred over from Virginia. And I said, I don't need you people anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. so (laughs) I went on my merry little way because I thought I had God. I had religion. And to suffice, it did me pretty good for a little bit of time. And I will say 17 years with no Um, connection with anyone about recovery or I just stayed away from the people that I used to associate with those things and just stayed around my family and the church people. And you were able to be sober for 17 years, 17 years. Yeah. See now this is the kind of stuff we got to get into because that scares hell out of a lot of people. They think, wow, she could relapse anybody. So after the 17 years, you have to slip up and you have relapse. Thinking back now, was there an event or something going on in your life? Well, I'll tell you. In 2006, my daughter, a middle daughter, she was 25 years old, and my grandson, he was seven. They died in a car accident. Mm. And it's horrible. I dealt with it, I thought, the best way I knew how. But as years went on, I started to have some grief and loss and I started to grieve and I talked to the people who I was around about my grief. They weren't able to understand or listen to what I had to say and um, just brushed over it with the minimum of concern. And so I briefly went to the VA and I got some assistance with them and um I got into a relationship. Now, that's one thing there. The relationship turned out to be toxic, uh, abusive, domestic Mm -hmm. violence, and um, those different type things and went back to using. That was in 2013. I lost my job in 2015. And I had to go. When I lost my job in 2015, I just went back to another treatment, but it was outpatient. Mm -hmm. So I thought I had fixed the problem. They told me to get out of that abusive relationship. Eventually, I end up back in the relationship because that was all I knew that was comforting to me. And um, because my family and, and, um, and the other friends and stuff, they didn't understand. This person seemed to understand or to listen. Sure. So, um, so well, anyway, I lost my job and I end up, uh, I won a loss a settlement for a wrongful termination and it was a considerable amount of money. And I went for almost over a year or so just splurging. I was angry at my job for firing me uh, wrongful. So sometimes anger and resentments and things like that can be a cause 
to go and relapse and to use because in my mind, I've already relapsed thinking um, automatic negative thoughts. I go to um, the VA now and they we use cognitive behavioral therapy, um, dialectical behavior therapy, and you know how to set boundaries and to be assertive and those kind of things. I didn't know any of that. You know, I thought my way was the right way. So this time in 2018, I went to inpatient. And I went to retreat. The, the VA sent me to retreat. I had never experienced anything like retreat. They broke down my problem. I had a one-on-one psychologist, my therapist, and the groups, the small groups and the large groups. And then we had um, yoga, mindfulness, meditation, drumming, um, gardening. And I worked in the kitchen. Uh, We went bowling. We did equine therapy with the horses. And um, we had a grief and support group. You know, so we did artwork, we did dancing, and and so we did uh, poetry and uh, going out in photography in the woods and just exploring things that we like to do. But one thing was I had to talk about my grief and the things that I had gone through. And that was hard and it was painful, writing about it and talking to a psychologist and those different kind of things, and then having your peers to, you know, evaluate you. And we would have this little BS bell and they would call BS on us if, you know, how are you aware of you in your recovery right now? And I said, a 10. And somebody called BS on me. But I'm like, what is that was right now? And so what I understood was being in the present moment, not thinking about down the road, you know, so yeah, sure. And they're tough rooms when you're in there because you, you know, obviously, people who are abusing substances are pretty good at getting over mm-hmm. on the on the outside world. Uh, but but people who've been there and done that will spot it a mile away. Right. You no, know, hold on. Let, let me back up a little bit here now because mm-hmm. you know it seems to me that when you know you relapse after a period of time that you did, it's pretty shocking and sad. Um, but there were issues that I think had less to do with the horrible accident that occurred or even the toxic relationship that you correct me if I'm wrong, that may have gone back to the fact that you were raised as a foster child. Right. And rejection. And abandonment. Yeah. Where are my real people? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it bothered me for so long because one thing that I dealt with in treatment was I was born Deborah Ann. But my foster mother named me Donna and my natural mother kept four other siblings. So I couldn't understand why I was the only one that was given away. And when I tried to contact her, she wouldn't give me any information. And she said that uh, my foster mother was my mother. So I carried that around, that anger. So this is something that was placed in me from birth. These things that I unbeknownst didn't know that were inside of me. Donna, how old were you when you uh, were placed in foster care? Five days old. And when did you become aware that uh, your foster mother was not your uh, your biological mother? How old were you? Well, I didn't really, you know, I just thought that's my mother, you know. And um, but she had two sons and they had 
children. So they were my cousins and all those things. And they would tell me that, you know, you're not really any relation to us. You know, look at look at our color, look at our hair, look at yours. So that there made me feel inferior and different. I dealt with all of those things even before I even picked up a drink. So let me ask you, uh, you have this uh, early uh, experience with abusing alcohol, go to the military, still drink, uh, manage to get through that, get your license, your nurse, and you manage to get through that, have a 17-year period of sobriety and then relapse, find yourself in a, a treatment program that's working. Was that the last relapse you had? My last relapse was in 2019. I went from retreat to Martinsburg, West Virginia. I went back to the homeless program. I said, I'm not going back to, you know, this relationship. I'm not going back there. I got to West Virginia and went to a goals program, graduated that program. I worked in compensated work therapy, got the job, and I didn't have a place to stay. You know, I had to leave, but I couldn't find a place to stay. So someone offered me a place to stay. And I knew her from Washington, D.C. I went to stay at that place while she was in the hospital. Drugs, strong paraphernalia. I'm like, holy moly. (laughs) Here we go again. Here we go again. So I had nobody to help me to move or anything like that. So I called this ex. And bam. Should have known they reached out somewhere else to get some of it. But that was the quick fix. So he helped me do the movie. He helped me do the cleaning. He did all of that. Not too long, she came out. And within a little bit of time, she was back to doing what she was doing. I was trying to stop her. And um, all of us end up back in the same predicament. So I lost my job in May because uh, he was threatening me. And, um, you know, because of the job and going to job, he was taking my money and I was at work and all this stuff was going on. So I lost my job. They sent me to Psychiatric Institute of Washington, the, the hospital in um, in West Virginia, because I didn't go to the VA because I worked there. And then from there, I end up back in D.C. and I end up back at the treatment center at the uh, psychiatric unit, which was every time I relapsed, I went to the psychiatric unit. They told me I had PTSD and that I had anxiety and depression. I kept telling them something is wrong with me. Something is wrong with me. And in 2018, when I went to retreat, the psychologist there told me I had bipolar. So I said, bipolar? No, I've been to the psychiatrist and no one ever has told me I have bipolar. So I went to the VA. They say, no, you don't have bipolar. That was in 2018. Well, when I went back in 2019, they said, the same psychologist, you have bipolar. The same story I told him was the same thing he had on my records. And it was that to a T. Let me me stop you right there because this is uh, something that people who have been through this have often endured. And that is uh, either missed diagnoses or the wrong diagnoses. Or refusing be, to accept. Or, or, but that's my point. My point <laughs> is that in spite of those unfortunate events, you were the one that finally went, you know, it doesn't make any difference what they're calling me, bipolar or 
stress or whatever it is, I got to get this together. So what do you do now every day, every day to make sure you don't slip up again? Every day I show gratitude, being grateful that I'm alive, that I'm clean and sober to God. You know, I understand him and, you know, my relationship with him and what I've come to know him to be and uh, what I found out about myself. Meditation, being mindful, being aware of how I'm feeling, any emotions or anything, talking to someone about um, what I'm feeling when I'm not feeling so up to par. And um, sometimes I don't know what it is. But usually if I talk about it, I go to meetings. Uh, I My family is very supportive and my daughter is very supportive because she was the one in 2019 who said, mom, I cannot help you. You need professional help. Yeah. And she saw you fall down once before. It's another factor that's common. You were lucky in that your the family, the people closest to you didn't give up on you. Well, my daughter saw me for 17 years clean and sober. And she knew that was not me. And she knew that this relationship that I was in was not good. And um, she just did not give up hope on me. Yeah. Donna Howard is our guest. She's uh, sharing with us her story of uh, substance abuse. Throughout her otherwise successful life, she's uh, well-educated. She was a nurse. She has multiple degrees. And yet, uh, alcohol would pull her back down under. She's been sober now. Uh, well, I'm sorry, how long now? 20 months will be on the 29th. Yeah, going on two years after a long, long bout with sobriety before that. So we know she can do this. She's talking to us about relapse because you're aware of this, Donna. And what we want to impress upon people is it's not, it's like being in a race, I guess. Mm-hmm. You could stumble in a race. The only time the stumble becomes a problem is if you don't get back up. That's the truth. So do you view the couple of relapses you had less as failures and more? Well, I I stumbled. I got to get back up and finish. Right. Someone once told me when you fall, don't fall on your face, (laughs) fall on your back so you can look up and ask for help. Because if you fall on your face, you're eating the dirt. You know, you can't talk. You know, so, I, you know, I always remember certain things that different ones, especially my elders had told me, you know, throughout the years. And and I remember those things. And even though it's like this, they call it like a mustard seed, you know, small belief in something. Uh, I still kept that. What I do now is like I stay in the middle of the herd. I stay around people that are going the way that I'm going, that are doing the things that I'm doing. And that's why I'm, I stay involved in the alumni and the Facebook group that we have. I help people that I see that are struggling along the way because I can't say that it's all about me. It's not all about me. This is not my doing. I didn't do it by myself. I had a lot of help. I had family, I had friends, I had psychologists. And I still do treatment in outpatient care at the VA, you know, 
we mm-hmm. uh, still go over these things. You know, then we have goals, like a wellness recovery action plan, right? Like you talk about mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, different things under those goals that you can you can do that that you attain these things. You were lucky in one sense. You had access and were smart enough to use the VA. You relapsed, but got back up and got back. Did you find it, and I guess maybe you, you might not be able to answer this, but as a woman of color, was it harder for you? Do you think it in some ways, or does race not matter at all? Well, yes, because um, in our community, especially here in the uh, D.C. area, there's a lot of drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things going on. But even though I didn't come from that kind of upbringing, I felt low. So I would just go to those areas, you know, um, out in the suburbs or places like that areas, you know, it's not as easy to get to. (laughs) But being in the inner city and and being, you know, a person of color and a female at that, you know, yeah. because as a female, you can just get anything you want just being a female. You know, use those things to your advantage, whether it's natural instincts, which I use, you know, wrong or improperly to get where I want it. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that because what my foster mother placed in me, morals and things like that. It was not becoming of me, and I started to not like myself. Yeah, he's clearly recognized, no matter how bad things got for you. There was something wrong with this. This was not who you were. It's not who I am. It's not who I am. And I would tell myself this, self-talk. Even when you're in addiction, self-talk, you know, you're still talking. That's that little inner voice on the inside is speaking to you it might be real faint but every now and then if you pay attention to it you'll hear what it's saying now did you worry about relapsing now do i worry about it no i don't worry about it but i know that if i don't do what i'm supposed to do and stay on it that is so easily for me to relapse. The only difference between right now and the 17 years is that I did not have a program. I did not have people that supported me with what I was doing and my wellness. And they would support me in the spiritual aspect. Sure. But not in the physical, the mental, and the emotional aspect. That was the piece that I was missing. And and medication, you know, I had a thing about taking medicine, you know, with these religious beliefs of my faith in God and healing and all that kind of stuff like that. But when I saw that I was getting worse and I was emotionally bankrupt and I had homicidal and suicidal ideations, mm-hmm. I said, I need help yep. from these people can't help me. I have to go to the professionals to that are specializing in this. My problem. Yeah, yeah it, well, Donna, it's a great uh, story. It's a very hopeful story. Even though relapse played a major part in it, didn't defeat you. 
you should be an inspiration for people because you picked yourself back up and you're carrying on. What finally someone's listening who recognizes everything that happened to you and it's happening to them. What's the first thing they should do? The first thing that they should do is um, seek some help and tell someone what they're going through. Not just, well, somebody who they can confide in, who um, will not judge them, who will not condemn them, and someone who does not have any attachment like a psychologist, a social worker. Right. It can be anyone. It can be anyone right. you trust to be able to listen to your story. Right. A, a trusted clergy. Well, Donna, you know, uh, people uh, who need advice in this sort of thing don't often take it. But if they did, they should take it from folks like you. That's know right. What you're talking about. I can <laughs> tell just from looking at you that you're uh, successful and happy. And that's great. I know you're a member of Retreat's alumni group. So I'm sure we'll... Uh, We'll be crossing paths again. Donna, thanks so much for sharing Thank this you, story. Thank you, Steve, for interviewing me. I really uh, wanted to be a, a help and an inspiration to someone. Well, I'm sure you will. Donna Howard here on the corner with us. Thank you all for your time as well. Don't forget, we're hanging here all the time. Every storm runs out of rain, according to the great Maya Angelou. Her words can remind us of one very simple truth. That storms do cross our paths, but they don't last forever. So the question remains, how do we ride out this storm of COVID-19 and all the other storms life may throw our way? Where do we turn when issues such as mental health or substance abuse begin to deeply affect our lives? Look to Retreat Behavioral Health. With a team of industry-leading experts, they work tirelessly to provide compassionate, holistic, and affordable treatment. Call to learn more today. 855-802-6600. Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On the Behavioral Corner.